Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. I think we've known each other for 20. Do you realize this month is the 24th anniversary of Big Church in Barrie? And we've known each other before that, but you know, I know the bumps that they went through and their, you know, the parents went through and the different stories. So it's not that they were, they were void of many difficult challenges, but that it came out of those greater, greater in God, greater in, his, in be, living for his glory. That's the awesome thing about God. And so he loves us passionately and he is faithful and true. Amen. We're all ready for the next one, Steve. Why should the unbelievers mock us saying, where is this God of yours? But we know our God rules from the heavens and he takes delight in all that he does. The unbelievers worship what they make, their wealth and their work. They idolize what they own and what they make with their hands. But their things can't talk to them or answer their prayers. Their possessions will never satisfy. Their futile faith in dead idols and dead works can never bring life or meaning to their souls. Blind men, blind people, if we want to put it in the crossed board can only create blind people. Those deaf to God can make a deaf image. Dead men can only create dead idols. And everyone who trusts in these powerless dead things will be just like what they worship. Powerless and dead. So trust in the Lord, all his people, for he is, wor- he is the only true hero, the wrap around God, who is our shield. You, his priests, trust in the Lord, for he is the only true hero, God wrapped around us as our shield. Yes, all his lovers who bow before him, trust in the Lord, for he is our only true hero. God wrapped around us as our shield. The Lord will never forget us in our need. He will bless us indeed. He will bless the house of Israel and he will bless the house of Aaron as priest. Yes, he will bless his lovers who bow before him no matter who they are. Amen? God himself will fill you with more. Blessings upon blessings will be heaped upon you and your children from the maker of heaven and earth, the very God who made you. The heavens belong to our God. They are his alone. But he has given us the earth and put us in charge. Dead people cannot praise the Lord, but we can. Amen? And our praise, guys, is not just the words we sing. Our praise is a life lived for the glory of his name. Amen? 
That's praise continually. But we can. Those who sink to the silence of the grave can no longer give glory to God. But we can. Amen? So let's praise the Lord. Let's begin now and let it go on until eternity is done. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Amen? And after I finished this psalm, I was like, I was just, I was struck by the whole passages of those that have dead, worship dead things and give themselves to dead things, become dead themselves. And, and God spoke to me and he says, you become what you behold. It just, he said, you become what you behold. And I thought, and that word behold is such a, you know, it's, an, it's, it's a word that talks about, like, embracing you, what you behold. It's what you give yourself to completely. When you behold something, you, you're sacrificing for it, but you're giving yourself to it. And, he, and, he, and we, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these men of God that I've been studying in the scriptures, or not in the scriptures, in uh, this book. Um, there's one thing that I see that is so powerful in their lives that is a key and that is that it was their devotion it was their absolute devotion their daily devotional life when th this guy what i love about this book is he breaks down the little keys of things that they did in their everyday life and how god got worked through them and i'm going to use two examples out of these seven men i'm going to use william wilberforce how many are familiar with william wilberforce he abolished slavery he did far more than that, but that's the thing that many people know him for. But, and Eric Little, who, um, who won the Olympics, and uh, I'll get into that more in terms of why he won and the way he did it, but even what he did after that. But, but there were keys in both of these lives, and, and this was, was, one of them was, they gave absolute devotion to the one they beheld the one, and they became like him. Which, now, when we look at a hero, how many remember from our, our encounters um, uh, the, the qualities of a hero, of a superhero? I know. <laughs> well, I know this is the number, for, I'm going to bring out three. First of all, number one with a, with a superhero, because we see in this psalm, that he is our hero, amen, the true hero. Because how many know the superheroes in life? Well, when we look at superheroes, they're bigger than life, right? They are bigger than life. How many know that Jesus Christ is much bigger than all of this? He truly is the superhero of superheroes. So when we, when we look to him, when we are trusting our life to him, he is someone that we can literally give our lives to because he is bigger than this life. If, if we narrow him down to he's just a prophet, he was just a good man, or he just said good things, that's not enough. That's not enough. He has to be more than that. And there's voices all over the place saying all kinds of things about him. But he's the risen one. He's the one that conquered the grave. He's the one that's canceled sin and, and is able to give true forgiveness and true freedom. He's the one that, that can bring deliverance when you're bound and break chains that no one else can break. No drug, 
whether it be medical or whether it be the other stuff that we try to find to medicate and, and booze and everything else, Jesus can set free and deliver because he is bigger than this life. He holds all of it now because he has authority. And we're going to look at that at the end as when we wrap up. But he's bigger than life. And these, these men knew that. And that was the thing that motivated them. Eric, Eric Little was a shy guy. He was shy. He was nerdy. But he could run. He just, there was something about him. He knew he could run. And he ran weird. His arms flailed. If you ever watched the movie, they had to even, you know, imitate how he ran. It was weird. But you know what? It got results. And he just, he followed that path. And he just, but his, this was the key. His daily devotion. He was he was known for his daily devotion and his consecration to the Sabbath day. And, and he was known all over the world for that. This was back in 1924. And so he, he knew, God, I have to do everything that you've given me for your glory. And he knew God gave him the gift to run. So he began to use that gift. And he began to run and he began to win everywhere. Win everywhere. Got to the attention of, of Scotland, his, his nation. One in a big race, I can't remember which one it was, it was an international race in, in uh, 1923. And in this race, he tripped, and this one's in the movie. So if you want to watch a good movie, it's a good movie. It's a little bit slow, because, you know, it's an older movie, but it's still good. Content's good. And, um, and, he, and he tripped literally at the very beginning, as, he, as they took off, someone, I guess, hit him right away. He ended up tripping. Well, when you trip on a short race, I think it was a quarter of a mile, um, you're pretty well done. So everyone kind of just wrote him off, and he won. It was like he got supernatural power, and he just, and he came up from behind, and he won. Well, that blew everyone's brains out. They're like, whoa, this is great. Well, anyway, he was known for to be the, the, the guy who could win the sprinter. He had the, the fastest time for the 100-yard 100, 100, uh, uh, uh um, dash, and, um, and so that's what he was known for. That's what he was known for. Anyway, they wanted to send him to the Olympics. He's like, okay, I'll go. He gets there, finds out that that is on a Sunday, and he's like, ain't running. His nation gets mad at him. How many know you send your, your dude to the Olympics, you better, like, represent us, and he's like, uh, I'm representing God first, and I don't do it on Sunday. So I'm not running in it. And so anyway, they were mad, mad, mad. Anyway, the only one he could run in that wasn't on a Sunday was the 400. And the 400, if you're into track, is so much different than the 100-yard dash. And it's a whole different strategy. It's a whole different way you run. And he's like, I'll run in that one. God had given him the okay that he was going to be with him. I'm, I'm giving you a very condensed, short version of it, okay? Um, dummying it down a lot. But anyway, guess what he did on the Sunday? He went to church and he preached. Because this was the other thing that he did. He was shy and he didn't even want to talk to people. He was that type of a person. But God gave him a platform and because he became this professional athlete that was well-known, 
doors open for him to speak. And everyone's like, give your testimony. Give you, you know, share. And all he would share was about God and God's goodness and what God had done. And would always point people to God. And he hated speaking in front of people. But he said, God, if you've opened this platform, I'll do it. And he did it. You know, so many times we're like, how many of our decisions are based on what I can't do, what I don't want, instead of beholding the one who has done something in us and following that? Following the one we behold, because when we behold him, we become like him. Amen? And this is what he did. And he would, he would minister out of that. And people said he wasn't eloquent and he wasn't even a powerful preacher, but he was sincere. And whenever he ministered, God would just come in and bring life because it was God working through him. God's power making the difference. And he lived a life that was constantly consecrated for God's glory. That's all that he lived for. He didn't care about the Olympics. He didn't care if it was on. That's why he could lay down that on Sunday. And like, well, why? That's kind of stupid. Why did he do that? He got the attention of the entire world, and the entire world knew this guy's honoring God. And it's like, well, that's stupid. Well, guess what? He runs in a 400 that everyone thought he was going to not do and not be able to win. He starts, and in, in sprinting, you start right away, and you run full guns. How many are familiar with track and field? You don't do that on a 400. You pace yourself, right? You're slower. Then they give him the outside lane, which is basically you're at a disadvantage because you can't see anyone behind you. So they let you start up a little far, further ahead because to make it even, but you can't see anyone. So he was at a disadvantage. So everyone's just thinking, ah, he's not going to do it. Anyway, they start the race. And he flies ahead, and he's going strong. And everyone that knows anything about it is thinking he's going to tinker out, and all these people are going to take off from behind and, and overtake him. The opposite happens. He gets stronger, stronger, and he creams everyone. He knocks it out of the park, breaks all records for the 400, And everyone is like, they know God did this. Someone greater, someone bigger, someone outside of all of this did this. Because that's what our superhero Jesus does when we behold him. We become like him. That's why when we get into situations and we're like, I can't do this. That's right. We can't. But the one we behold Easy schneezy. He's like, step into this. Do it. Sheila, when they were in Shasasabi, she had to go on radio. Never done radio before. And got shoved in there. Tremendous platform. Because you've got an entire captive audience listening. But she trusted that God had put her on that, in that spot. Her and Kathy, I believe, did it. And they just, and you know what? A lot of times what we have to do when we step into those situations, because it's always, oh, I can't do it. We're thinking of me. We're thinking of me instead of beholding the one and saying, okay, Jesus, how do you want to use me for your glory? You've put me in this spot. You are bigger than all of this. Amen?
because that's the number one characteristic of a superhero. He is bigger than all of this. Amen? Another characteristic of a superhero is they, I better, I don't want to mess it up here. They carry out great responsibility. How many know Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility? <laughs> and it's true. It's a, it's a true principle. And our superhero carries out responsibility. Amen? Not these other ones. It's all hyped up, but they're not doing anything for you. But this is what our superhero Jesus is doing for us. First of all, the Bible says that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, John 3.17, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Bible says that our high priest that we now serve now and that we've come to, He's not a high priest that is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he came. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted in Hebrews. But he was without sin. And, and the Bible says that this high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And he's able to show us a way out, a way of escape. Amen? He is, right now, he's working for us. Amen. He's showing tremendous responsibility. And with that power, tremendous responsibility. And then what's he doing? He is, the Bible says right now, he's at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's not picking his nose. He's not twiddling his thumbs, wondering what to do, what to do. He's looking at the mess, and he's interceding. And he's pleading on behalf of the Father for you and me. Amen? That's our superhero. That is worth giving our life for. Amen? And I think sometimes the reason why we don't live a life bigger than what we have now is we are not beholding the sacrifice and the responsibility that Jesus has made and making it our responsibility. We're kind of like, ah, oh, just throw it off. Throw caution to the wind. It's like, and I want to bring out, this next person I want to bring out is uh, William Wilberforce because um, he had all of the opportunities to live a completely selfish life. He was wealthy and born to a very wealthy and influential family in his day. But it's neat how God works. His dad had passed away when he, I think, was 10 or 12, somewhere in there. And his mother sent him off to his aunt and uncle because she wasn't able to care for him properly, who were also wealthy. But guess what? They were devout Christians. And they were Methodists. Now, Methodists back in that day were radical. And they were known as people that took the word of God way too far. They actually believed what the Bible said. It's like, and, and all the rich people were like, no, it's, you're taking it, it's not that literal. And it was like, 
they, they would look down on the Methodists, but the Methodists were the crazies of the day. They were the radical, devoted believers. The reason they were called Methodists, John Wesley, literally had a discipleship track in which he had you live and walk out the scriptures, and you were, lived in community where you were accountable to one another and where you continually lived the scriptures and you lived what you said. And they held you to that. You know what he had? He had guys that preached while the, the workers were going to work. And the, like hundreds would go to work. And there would be, they were street preachers that would preach to the ones as they went to work. Remember, this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And they would begin to just declare the scriptures as these guys are going to work. And the believers, of course, were, yeah, that's right, that's right. I preached to them when they came out from work. And, and the Methodists had all these things that were in place, and they lived in community. And William Wilberforce, at 10 or 12, ended up going to his aunt and uncles, ended up seeing in the, basically a life lived for Christ in a powerful way, got saved, got changed. But then mom and dad found, or, or mom found out, and it was, wink, <laughs> took him out of that house, brought him back. He became worldly again after a few years, but ended up becoming very strong in the political arena, was, there was a call in his life. There was something in him, and it kept bringing him forward. Became um, best friends with the, the vice president, or not the prime minister of the nation, who was young at the time. Worked his all the way, all the way up there. But then one time, his mom got really sick. And she was going to Italy because apparently the weather was better there for her to get better. So he had to go and travel to Italy and meet her there. And back in the day, how many of you, know, you couldn't hop on a plane? Like anywhere you went, it was like three weeks, you know. And he had to go horse and buggy. And, and so he's like, I need a traveling companion. Couldn't find anyone. Finally, he found, found this guy he respected and uh, kind of knew. And knew him as a fun guy. And so he's like, okay, ride with me. So they start riding in this, on this trip. Within the first few days, they get into something, and they get on the God topic. And he put something, put a Methodist down, and he began to, to, to uh, mock something about the Methodists and how they take the word of God literal and blah, blah, blah. And his friend goes, well, what's wrong with that? And he began to challenge him. And here, this guy was a devout Methodist. Totally radical for God. And guess what? They're stuck in a little paddy wagon, whatever you want to call it, um, for weeks together. So he's riding with this guy. And by the end of the ride, his whole view on life begins to get changed and altered. And he begins to have to reexamine everything, and why he's doing what he's doing, and his whole dedication to what he's given himself to, and he reevaluates everything, and we think it happened like this. Guess how long he was in a, we call it depression, we give him drugs and do all that. He had to wrestle through this for over a year and a half. He wrestled with his whole, but he came out of it, and he said, okay, this is my resolve. I will live for the glory of God. 
and I will live to put value for humanity. Basically, that was his number one thing that God had told him to do. I want you to begin to, to basically bring value to, to, to humans again. Because back in his day, you have to understand, child labor was common. How many have seen the movie or the play Oliver? Remember little children, and they were in horrendous situations where they were, you know, little kids going and working in factories. Sheila's grandfather, I think, worked in, her, her pops worked in a, in a factory in England at the time. And he, he was a chimney sweep. And, um, but kids were, and alcoholism was so rampant, and people were just, the value of life was just horrible. Abuse uh, of all forms was, was just common. And slavery was, was common. And so William Wilberforce began to uh, hit these things. And he knew that God had, he, the first thing he wanted to do is he wanted to go into um, the ministry. And he wanted to become a minister. And he went to the guy who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And um, uh, I forget his name. Newton. And anyway, he was a former slave trader, repented, turned to God became completely transformed, and he wrote that song. And that song came out of that whole transition and change. But William Wilberforce went back to him, and that guy said, maybe you were born for such a time as this, and you need to take it into Parliament, and you need to be a minister there. And that's what he did. And you know what? The rest is history. But it was a continual fight, a continual battle, and the one thing that everyone said to him is, you won't be able to do this. And he lived a life of severe attacks, of tremendous, tremendous opposition. But you know the one thing that he did? And he continually did it. And this is, again, we become what we behold. He would not leave church community. He went and lived with the freaks of the day. And in that day... They literally lived in communities because they had to surround themselves and be accountable. And so he lived in this community, and all the rich people looked down at him. All of those in parliament who were wealthy and in position, they looked down at him continually. And he did not care because he knew he would become what he beheld. And he saw what he saw in the dead works and the dead things that everyone was following. And he said, I'm going to live differently. I'm beholding something different. And there were two things he did. He had that church community around him that kept him accountable, and he lived at absolute brokenness and realizing only God can work through me. I have lots of ability. I have lots of skill. I have lots of talent. I have lots of influence. I have lots of money. But that does not matter if it's not surrendered and yielded to God every moment. And he was known to be a person that continually lived from that position. And that's why he could stand up against those in great power and great authority. Why? Because he became what he beheld. He didn't come under what they were under because he was under a greater authority. How did he abolish slavery? By following God and following his strategies and allowing his power to work in him to make a difference continually, continually, 
continually, continually. And this is the thing that God's been challenging me with. And we have to, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit, help me to quicken me, quicken me, quicken me, quicken me, is how many of our decisions are based on beholding dead things or beholding things that matter to us but really don't matter to God? They're dead things because we become what we behold. And we live in a life of tons and tons of distractions, tons of things pulling all different sides. But we've got to say, God, what is it, first of all, that you caught me for? What is it that you've grabbed me for? Because God has something for each one of us. We're a gem. Amen? And there's things that he's put inside of us that as we embrace him, we behold the image that he gave us. And we begin to live out of that place who he made me to be. Amen? And I, my wife can't give it to me. You can't give it to me. I have to behold the one who can give me that. Amen? And Facebook validation, and I like you. Thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs up. I got 50,000 thumbs up. Wow. It must be real. Like, like that's what we're living for. A lot of times, it creeps into our thinking, creeps into our, our whole mentality, and we got to shake that off. It's like, no, I want to behold you. Amen? The one true hero. And the last thing with our hero I want us to see is they lay down their lives. They give us help in ways that no one else can. You know, when you think of a superhero, they're constantly looking out for the underdog. They're, they're there to bring, you know, where there's injustice, they're wanting to bring justice. Amen? And, and this is what our superhero has done. Jesus, he's come in, and this is why in our lives, whenever we're looking at situations, we have to see, Jesus, what are you doing in this situation? Because Jesus is always lifting up the lowly. He's always bringing Justice, where there's injustice. He is always wanting in some way to intervene. And we are the ones he's doing the work through on the earth. Amen? And, and those around us that God is using, he gives us different things. You know, right now, I want to just talk about our, our kids club and uh, YD Youth. Because we're in a, in a situation right now where it's growing. Our bus was almost full last week. Um, we had, I think, almost 20 youth on the bus. Or not on the bus, but 20 youth had shown up. Um, we're at the point where we're going to have to turn people away with the bus because we can't fit them all on. we got to look at getting another bus. We've got to look at how do we strategize for, for the youth and, and kids club as it's growing. We need more workers. So... These are all situations that we're encountering. Now, we can look at it and how are we going to do this? I don't know how we did it to this point, but we did it. And so we'll do it to the next point. Amen? Because God is opening these doors. And we are not going to close the doors. And we're not going to say no to all of these things. So I want us to be praying for this. That's why I'm bringing this to your attention. Because this is something that we are encountering now. 
uh, almost every week. And so we need to be praying, praying for God to, to, to provide because we need provision to, to bring in another bus. We're going to need probably about 120, roughly 120 a week to bring in another bus and driver and have two buses and two drivers. Thank God the, the bus company, has God's given us favor with the bus company. They've given us a cheap rate uh, five or six years ago when we started renting with them. And they've never changed it. They've, in, they've kept it at the same price every year which, with gas and everything else going up. Kept it the same. And then when I went in and I said, you know, could, could we do two buses? Can you do a, a better rate? They even did a cheaper rate for two buses. And so we're getting a really good rate. They, they can't donate it because they don't do charitable stuff, but they're, they're doing everything that they can. So praise God, we've got that. But, but we, still, we still need more money. But how many know God can do that? It's not a problem. So let's be praying. Can you please be praying for us? Pray for workers, pray for wisdom, and pray for provision. Those are the three things that we need. And, and, and coming into the new year, we have to look at doing two buses, but we need to do it the right way, and we need to, to make that step. So however that's going to happen, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge as we get there. We're going to have a little ho-ho-ho before that, okay? So... Um, enjoy the holidays, but, uh, but these are good problems, amen? Good problems, because we're, we're bringing in those that can't get here otherwise. That is a good thing. It is a good thing, and God has been faithful, and he wants to increase us, and he wants to increase us, and he wants to increase us, and so many times we're looking at so many minute little things, and we're like, well, how can God do this? Let's look at the bigger picture. Let's behold the one who started this thing. And let's see, how can we become more like him? And what's my part in it? Instead of looking at, oh, this, I can't do this, what does he want you to do? Behold the one and ask, what do you want me to become in this? Amen? Because he sacrificed to be able to bring us this greatness. And this is the attitude he wants us to have. If you could pull up Philippians. Um, because this is what we got to look at when we're looking at the body. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. Amen. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. How many have felt that and know that? Isn't that awesome? But like... Eugenia was saying at the beginning, if all we do is eat that, eat that, eat that for ourselves, we get a little bit lazy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one, um, sorry, in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose. I, I don't know about you, but I have, um, if you've been in choir, I've been in choirs, I've been in music. If someone is not in harmony, you know it. They're like, ha, 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 and everyone else is perfect. You can have five, you know, in perfect harmony, and then that one's like, ha, ha, and it's like, wrecks the whole thing. Whole thing's ruined. Why? Because of one, not in harmony. Saying, be harmonious in purpose. And it says, you, and you fill my 
heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride filled opinions, for they only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self promotion to hide in your hearts. Be authentic, uh, show authentic humility and put others first. And view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. This is what they said about William Wilberforce. He continually was looking at the underdog. He was continually looking at how can I lift them up and elevate them. And he continually, in laws and everything he established, he was always, Parliament hated him because they were like, stop. We don't care about that. We don't care about them. We don't. And they constantly, and he would continually bring it to the forefront. And he would continually say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he continually did it until something broke through. And this is, he lived this. And it says, and consider the example that, that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. He didn't show up on earth and he's like, if you only knew, I'm like, I just came from heaven, like... You guys are losers down here. I'm going to help you to go from this to this, victorious. <laughs> Instead, be emptied. This is what he did. He emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. Even the way he came. We're celebrating that for the Christmas season. He came in a stable. He came not in the best hospital in the world. Like, it just is incredible how he even came. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. And because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. And he has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Amen? Everything and everyone will one day. Some aren't right now, but they will. Will one day submit to this name. And in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, let's say it together, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his Father. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. You know what? We're not going to do worship at the end. We did communion at the beginning. We're going to just pray a prayer. We're going to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And we're going to live this as we go from here. 
And I want to challenge you in this. What are you beholding? In a day, what is it that you truly behold? Okay, what is it that we truly give our devotion to in a day? There's lots of things I do in a day, but I'm not beholding everything. But there's something I need to behold. Right? What is it that captivates our heart? What is it that absolutely grabs our devotion and is taking that first place? You know, when the Bible says that God's a jealous God, the reason he's a jealous God is because he passionately loved us and has held nothing back from us. That's why he's jealous, because we don't do the same back. If he did not do that, it would be different, but he did. He held nothing back from us. Amen? And so it's, it's important that we behold him for who he is and that we allow that transforming love even to draw us into that place. So the first thing, you know, I see everyone, I see so many people do, they condemn themselves. Oh, well, I haven't done it. Again, it becomes all about you. I failed. I did. It's all about me. We're looking again at me instead of coming to the one that we're beholding, receiving perfect forgiveness, perfect love, and just allowing ourselves to behold him. Amen? So today, Lord Jesus, we just, we honor you. We thank you for the tremendous example that you were in your life and even that you're forever making intercession for us even now. And we say, we say that we will behold you and that we want to behold you in a greater way. We want to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've placed inside of us, the great treasure that you've put in us. We, we desire to live for your glory, to, to live to behold you in all that you are, that as we are walking with you, that your transforming love and power changes us to become like you. We honor you, Lord. We honor you. We honor you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you every situation and that we are encountering. We give it to you now. We ask that you would use us for your glory in every one of those situations. We thank you that every mountain will be brought down low. By your power, as we honor you, as we live our lives surrendered to you, and for your glory. We honor you, Lord. We honor you. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the praise as we go from this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll go and be blessed. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, 
go to bigchurch.cc.